0: Welcome to Boxes and Lines, a different kind of finance podcast from a different kind of stock exchange, featuring IEX founder Ronan Ryan and Chief Market Policy Officer John Ramsey. Now here to give you the straight talk on how the markets really work, it's Ronan and JR.
1: Welcome, Boxes and Lines listeners. This is John Ramsey, or JR as you will. Uh, This week, we have a discussion with Joe Salusi of Themis Trading. Joe is one of our favorite people and best friends of the firm, and he has a lot of interesting insights. One thing that's a bit uh, odd about it is that we recorded this several weeks before the SEC proposals that came out, so you might be confused about that, but uh, we think that his insights are still very much on point, uh, and uh, we thought that you would benefit from those and hopefully enjoy the discussion. See you next time.
2: Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of Boxes and Lines.
1: Welcome to Boxes and Lines. Welcome back.
2: We've only ever had one return guest before now, the infamous Boris Silveski. I think I pronounced his name right, Ilyevsky. I believe
1: is that you screwed it up.
2: Well, serves him right. Anyway, and but the return guest we have today is Joe Saluzzi from Temas Trading. Hello, Joe. Welcome back. I feel like an SNL host coming (laughs) back for the return. It
1: is. Well, last
2: time we had Joe was pre-pandemic, and we had Joe in our old podcast booth. That those listeners out there who stuck with us, uh, Uh, you're insane. One, but for those you remember, we used to record these in a little podcast booth. Pre-COVID, when we were very close Otherwise together. Otherwise known as the sweat box. The sweat box. We mm-hmm. can't do that anymore. Yeah. New uh, York law dictates that. The CDC <laughs> shut you down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. So, so welcome back, Joe. We appreciate you coming back. Yeah. Why you did it, I don't <laughs> know. I was told it was free beer. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> there, there is free beer. We're drinking some of our IEX liquidity. Uh-huh. It's after 4 o'clock, isn't it? <laughs> it's somewhere, yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. They don't need to know that. Yeah. They don't need know that this is 7 okay, a.m. Okay, yeah, move it along. Anyway.
3: <laughs> yes.
2: What, what have you got for Joe? Welcome back, Joe.
3: <laughs> All right. What are we talking
2: about? Re- return guests. Return guests. So yes. it's, I thought we'd kick it off with easy stuff before we get market structure wonky. And uh, we know it's the 20th anniversary at Demonstrating. So, one, congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, actually, from one gone. founder to another, yeah. trust me, I know the trials mm-hmm. and tribulations It's not yeah. an easy thing. So it's it's a great. tough
1: business to be in, and you have survived very well for 20 years. Thank what's your, what's you. your secret to, to success? That's a good
3: question, John. Mm-hmm. Just staying sharp, man. Just <laughs> and Really, no, really, the secret is just to keep learning and keep doing and staying involved in everything that you possibly can. But yeah, 20 years, I think amazing. We started in 2002, I think it was May of 2002, which was, you know, who knew where we were going to go with this thing? But it really, in the end, it turns out to be market structure. As market structure continues to change, we stayed with it. We continue to, you know, educate our clients as best as we can and to stay involved in the debate once. and, And I always say, the minute you become irrelevant is the term I like to use at the firm. When if we are irrelevant, then we're done. Yeah. you must stay relevant, however, that might be.
2: Did you start off so? Like, I only entered the game in 2009 when I joined RBC. Prior to that, were, were you guys at Themis talking about market structure? Was that Reg NMS in 2005? You were at forefront when I joined this business.
3: We were probably because of our internet background, you know, internet was a very it reminds me of this place a lot, actually. Yeah. incident early '90s, mid '90s was just like IEX. It had this edgy kind of feel to it. They were pioneers in what they were doing, and they were fighting for everything. So at Instant, we always wrote comment letters. We helped clients write comment letters. we yeah. You know, they educated. Sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was. Are you saying we copied Instant? <laughs> no, not at all. But <laughs> yeah. it's that same style. So I, yeah. I think that kind of when we you know started Vemis, it was that same approach. Stay edgy, stay in it, you know, and and fight for everything that you could possibly fight for. Because we knew you're not going to compete with the big boys. But I'm never going to build an algo faster than somebody else. I'm never going to have, you know, whatever they have. So create your own toy box, right? Do something different. And that's what it was. But particularly
2: well, and from 2002, I'm cutting you off. Sorry, Jones. Yeah, go once ahead. Once you get going, it's yeah. like fucking pulling mm-hmm. a string. From <laughs> 2002 to obviously... 2022, like the yeah. electronification of the markets has really taken off in yeah. full flight. So you've had to evolve with it. So I guess one of our questions is what's changed, what's stayed the same? I guess what's changed is- mm. Like everything. Everything. But yes. what stayed the same is, well, we'll get into it later in this conversation, yeah. is a lot of regulation hasn't changed much over that period of time. Right. I mean, it was
3: 07, right? Yeah. Reg MS was a yeah. big deal. And I think that's when we started looking at it. And, you know, we started in 02, things weren't much Different than they were in the nineties. But then right. as Reg NMS talk started, then we knew things were starting to change. And that changed a lot. That changed everything, right? We went from two stock exchanges to sixteen. We went from a couple of dark pools to numerous ATSs. So you had to stay on top of the new rules, the new regulations and so on. But we haven't seen a regulation that big. We've seen smaller ones come through, but nothing like Reg NMS. And you know, maybe we'll talk later, something might be coming that might challenge that for Well,
1: I might offer that one of the things I suspect just stayed the same is that you, and this is being true of uh, plenty of other brokers um, and members of ours, I think, but um, I I assume that your client's have the sense that you are looking out for their interests and that when you stay engaged in these issues and, you know, argue for changes in policy that you really are, have their best interests in at heart and are looking out for them.
3: Yeah, um, actually, I would go one step further. We have it as a two-way conversation. So we're, we're taught. I want to, I'm almost like a sponge. Well, I'm listening to the client. I want to hear what their problems are. I want to hear what the, their their worries are. And we're processing all of that and developing our opinion that way. Because we are really, even we're brokers, but we're really, we're like institutional traders. We're not trading for our own account. We're purely agency. So whatever they're thinking, I need to know. And I'm going to try to sample all of them. We have pension fund clients. We've got mutual fund clients. We have hedge fund clients. I need to know what everybody's thinking and what their worries are, what they're concerned about. So that's where our morning note comes into play. We'll bounce out a note and always get feedback. Always people are coming back saying, I'd like to hear more about this or, hey, what about this? That, those are the ones I love. When someone sees one of our notes and says, interesting, but tell me more about this or you should look at this, then we yes. g- we get going from there.
1: But I just think about the, the change in the level of complexity has been so extraordinary. And I would think that one of the changes, um, certainly of that time span, is just the increased emphasis on Technology on understanding the technology on understanding the role of of algorithms and you know algo wheels and kind of all the rest and it's a, it's a lot to keep up with.
3: It is, and especially for a small shop. I mean, we're not big, obviously, you know, relative compared to the big guys. So it means a lot of work. It means a lot of researching. You know, when my my day ends at four o'clock when the market closes, my day doesn't end. Obviously, there's a lot more going on at that point. But that separates us, I think. And that really, when you pay attention to detail and then what, what clients want, everyone's busy, but they want it filtered. So if you can come out with a 24, you know, take for instance, the Schwab report on the, on the tick. So Schwab had published a 24 page report. I read through it, okay? I wasn't very happy about it.
2: <laughs> and I wrote- But this was on like Tick and Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Okay. Yeah, and mm-hmm. obviously- the I read it all. I just wanted for, to ask the question. But yeah, of course. Yeah, see, yeah, I, I, yeah. You know, Payment for order flow is the best thing in the world, okay. according to them and so on. But we filtered it down to about three or four paragraphs and we said, interesting, but what about this? Maybe they didn't see this. And so people want you to just give that extra opinion because they're hearing from the status quo, as we like to call it. And a lot of that is very similar opinion. So when they hear from us, it's like, wow, that's that's different. You represent a different view. I'm like, yes, that's what we do. And that's what we've been doing for 20 years, to go back to that.
1: A different view. And people really do, uh, I think, rely on you to um, distill this really complex, and particularly these days where it just feels like you're drinking from a fire hose, just kind of like put it into – Two paragraphs that people can easily digest.
3: Yeah, and I think it's a great word, distill. I'm going to use that one again. <laughs> that's yeah, that's really what it is. You're, you're reading it's what your I try to do, <laughs> certainly in my communications. Yeah, well, you don't fucking distill so. things in a <laughs> yeah. short order when you ramble
2: on, but then, <laughs> that's the least fancy <laughs> yeah. word he's used on this podcast. <laughs> All right, don't don't read into it. It's not because so, it's you. Yeah,
3: we'll, we'll distill SEC documents. We'll uh-huh. distill exchange filings. We'll distill the academic papers i wrote one this morning on an yeah, academic so piece which i thought was a really interesting piece yeah it was really piece. cool and like right.
2: manipulating the benchmark yeah, yeah. wasn't well, yeah. that
3: like maybe they created a model you know, The 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 piece was a little complicated to read i'm like okay i have to break this down into three or four paragraphs that people will want to read first of all and not tune out after the first paragraph and will understand and i was i struggled with that one for a couple of days and i was, actually i went home last night i said i can't get this one down i can't <laughs> figure out what i want and then i just kind of finally got through it but that's the, the benefit of me having, I can write a note when I feel like I want to write one on a Tuesday, I write it on a Tuesday. When I want to write two this week, I write two. No one's holding us to that.
2: You guys yeah. do a great job, too, of uh, putting in like funny meme photographs. It's sort <laughs> of like traditional <laughs> themis, but I love it. I always see the photo first. I'm like, what in the name of Christ is this about? It's <laughs> Including yeah. representations of certain member firms which are be men. <laughs> but
3: yeah, it's all about the photo. Huh? That's yeah. the grabber. That's mm-hmm. the attention, yeah. right? The, yeah. Mm-hmm. You got to get them. Yeah. The
1: just the volume of I mean, you may be the only person who reads all of these exchange um, filings, but um, often I will be aware of something that an exchange is filed, for example, um, because you've drawn attention to it. I noticed there was um, one of the things that you've been talking about recently is this um, short interest report that Sibo, uh, um, I think mm. markets have been putting out into the, it, it, just as an example. Is yeah. it? Would you, you want to say anything about that, or yeah. what Why? Why it drew your attention? What yeah. your concern
3: was? Absolutely, and that one interesting. I read that one, and then I. Why does John yeah. keep looking at me? <laughs> right. there, there's a fella who well, you guys may know, RT Luchtoffer. Yes, His yes, pseudonym. Nobody knows who he is. We and. Honest to God, we you never you, met the,
1: You know where yeah. that comes from? Where yes. the name comes from? Yes,
3: Ruf, Rufus T. Firefly from Duck Soup is where it came from. Okay. Okay. Well, what?
1: Did, yes. I thought you were about to tell him. <laughs> well, did you think you know, you I thought, I thought it was from a uh, Vonnegut book. I thought it was from okay. like a. Well, if yeah. it
2: makes you guys feel good,
3: I had no fucking clue. Yeah. But I swear,
2: well, no one well, that I actually knows yeah. who know he is. I don't know, but yeah. I love yeah. his
3: stuff. Yeah. His or her stuff is it, great. Yeah, the the comment letters are pure just. Fantastic yeah. writing, yeah. Hold, hold, you know, pulls no punches. It's really out there. And he had found this, he or she, very had, knowledgeable too, though. Definitely yeah. in the weeds somewhere. Yeah. So one day we'll get to meet RT. I hope you're listening. I want to meet you. We, we will
1: know. you if you're listening, RT. We will guarantee your anonymity and we'll allow you to come on the podcast. And well, that's a good call out, yeah. John.
2: We uh, we have done this for two previous guests. Mm. Liquidity and arbitrage indie. Exactly, still have no idea who yes. the fuck they were. Yeah. I, I,
3: you know, we're I both think, were fun. Yeah, I, I think that would be a great show. Yeah, really. please, we if should, you're we listening,
1: should. do it. Contact us somehow. We however should tweet you want. that out on
3: Twitter. I'll reach out to him. yeah, uh-huh. yeah, I'll yeah. Out yeah. Out. yeah. Uh-huh. But going back to your original question, but he, the Sibo had filed a a proposal. We had caught this one initially where they wanted to do an intraday short sale every 15 minutes tell people how many short sales are going on, basically. And on an order-by-order basis, this is really where we got, like, wait a second, every 15 minutes on it, you can then basically build an algo to kind of track what's going on. If you have that kind of information, even if it's only from those four exchanges that the SIBO owns. However, they there was some uh, industry pushback from what I understand. They pulled the filing. They said, no, no, we don't want to do it intraday. We'll do it end of day. Okay. RT then figures out that they've been doing this every day since... He doesn't even know how many years. It could be five, seven years. If you go onto the website, onto the CBO's website, they have a report at the end of the day, maybe two hours or so after the close, where you can, anybody can click on it. It's free. It will show you trade by trade, all the trades that happened on each one of their exchanges and whether or not the sale was short. So in other words, starting at seven o'clock, I think at 7 a.m. was when they started, 200 shares, 200 shares. Here's a short sale, 200 shares, 200. Short sale exempt, 300 shares. Now guess what? If I'm trading, you know, intel, maybe that doesn't matter as much. But if I'm a short seller and I want to leg into a position in a relatively thin name and say I'm doing 20% of the volume, 100,000 shares a day, I can then pretty much, if I'm reading those feeds, I'm going to know that there's a short seller out there coming back day after day after day, either way, whatever it is. The fact of the matter is, is if I can't see on the consolidated tape that a trade is done through a short sale, and I can't, I can just see the trade Why is an exchange giving out information that should be confidential? Right. And the point
1: is that your clients are not particularly interested in that information for purpose, for their own purposes, but there are other people that might be interested in using that information in order to trade against
3: your clients or other people um, that are. um, It's information, right? Yeah. And why is that information available? It's just like the problem I've had with proprietary data feeds for 20 years now. Why is it order by order? Why should, shouldn't? not it just be more of an aggregated basis? The more information that they get on my flow, whether I'm revising an order, canceling an order, changing a price, you can't see that on the tape. But why you know you we better? sing from that same hymn sheet. I like, know, yeah. which is why I feel when I and this is no promotion, no promotion here. I, why do I feel comfortable trading on IEX? Because I know I'm not being tracked on an order by order basis. It's simple.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Joe. And now you've you've served your purpose. Can I have my the, beer now? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, that was great. And just for, for our, you know, maybe somewhat less sophisticated, when you talk about order by order, most um, exchange uh, market data feeds do for people who are willing to pay for it and they have to pay a lot will provide uh, data feeds that show each individual order and the amount um, kind of like on a on a constant feed, which, as you say, does give people who are interested, who have the ability to trade based on speed a huge advantage. Over it's, you can.
3: know, we call it the fuel. It is the fuel to the engine. Without that prop data feed, can they do what they really do? Can they back run? If you want to call it that, can they figure out what's going on? Maybe they can figure out, but this is extra. So, and then me as a client of, one of these exchanges, do I have a choice to give them that data? No, I I believe that once you sign that agreement, the exchange owns the data and they're gonna do whatever they want with it. So they're making millions and millions of dollars off of data feeds. Obviously, this is a very profitable business, but it's my data, it's not their data. They're giving out information. In fact, it's my client's data. So they're costing my clients money, maybe, if they're not trading correctly, not our clients, other clients, (laughs) But, but that's something that we've talked about forever. I'd love to see that in Chairman Gensler's proposals. Hey, we're going to kill the the proprietary data feeds. are going to go to an aggregated order. Why not? Let's hey, you start can there. have
2: a prop feed. You can disseminate it very quickly. Look, like we're we're, we're not just talking our book because this is what we've always felt. Always we are, believing. but
3: we're
1: but but but, but we're we do it. We, we, we walk the walk, don't we? Don't yes, yes, we? Do. Right. So we do. like we
2: do for those non-traders. If we have ten, one hundred share orders, we aggregate it and just say we have a thousand shares at this price. Every other exchange will show you those ten orders. They each have uh, their own order IDs. You'll see when particular orders join the book, when they cancel. And we used to have a former prop trader here, and he would call it profiling the limit order book. And when you start to stitch the market together and you would look at quote changes and certain names, you could really profile who's coming in, who's leaving. If someone cancels their order at a certain time, that tells you that the smart money is canceling an order. What usually happens when that happens? The price rolls against you. So there's, there is a... There is a lot of information, as you say, Joe, maybe less live, more after the fact, but the profiling the order book is is a
3: massive strategy. Right? And and think about this. Some of the algos out there that brokers will give their clients, some are cheaper than others. Maybe these algos are so cheap because they're getting economics from another source, a rebate from a stock exchange, let's just say. And maybe, let's just say it's a VWAP algo, it's not very smart. So the VWAP algo, in order to charge such a low price, will post the bid first. And say the stock is 10 cents, 12 cents. In. He joins the bid at 10, gets nothing done, and then jumps to 11. Now, the proprietary data feed is going to show that there's now an 11 cent bid by 200 shares. The 10 cent bid has been canceled, and now we're 11, 12. What do you think is going to happen if you keep doing that? Eventually, that bid will get hit. The broker will get the rebate, but now the client just paid up 2 cents. Wouldn't it be make more sense just across the spread, by the way, if it's a penny stock and just get done in your 200 shares rather than play this stupid game for trying to get the rebates? We've been arguing about this for years, but if it wasn't for those prop data feeds, I would argue that that strategy is not going to yeah, work. The
2: value is gone. Yeah.
1: yeah. And a lot of this, I, in my view, really does come down to a philosophical uh, point of view about what the function of an exchange really is and whether an exchange should be viewed as sort of a neutral arbiter that tries to ultimately provide the best uh, outcome for investors or... If you're basically selling to a relatively few firm, you know, technology products um, to relatively few firms in order to enable them to profit off of investors, I mean, that's that's really how. What well, John, is to it to be? Is it a stock
3: exchange or a data exchange? That's yeah. what we've always left. Like, what are the major exchanges? Are they data? Ex- where is the most of the money being made? Is it made on transactions or is it made on data? Right. I think it's data.
1: Well, yeah, they certainly they market themselves as technology companies selling data and co-location when they sort of uh, you know when they, when they go to research analysts or other people. Uh, I mean, because those type
2: of people like to hear about subscription revenue rather than exactly, exactly. Amen. exactly. So, listen, a hot topic is Gary Gensler's equity proposals. We've been waiting six months, eighteen months. It's always been like six weeks away, but I think it's actually four to six weeks away. And the hot topic that uh, a lot of people are talking about are weighing in on is tick size. So we thought we'd ask you, Joe. Can you just explain what tick size means? What might potentially be proposed? We can talk about what IEX thinks, mm-hmm. what other exchanges think, how others in the market have weighed in, and, but- and,
1: and what would actually be good for investors. In your
3: sure. So, so th-
1: remember, everybody th- doesn't
2: understand tick
3: size, right? So a tick is different than a spread. I think yeah. a lot of people always tend to they kind of interchange those terms, but they're different. Tick is the amount that you the increment of a stock so 10 cents we can up by a tick now which is a penny right the tick currently on the mm-hmm. on the rules i guess is one penny you can't quote a stock over a dollar above a penny uh, below a penny uh, tick right so yeah. 10 cents 11 cents 10 cents 12 cents so the current tick minimum one penny the big talk now is should we reduce the tick size because they believe that some stocks are Tick constrained is the term that people use. So super active name, say a stock trades, I don't know, 10 million shares a day for the most part the, of the and day. And the
1: minimum tick now is one cent for one almost cent. all stocks. Minimum yeah. tick,
3: one cent. You know, we tried to do a tick pilot, but we won't get into that right now. But mm. there were some good things that came out, of it, but maybe we'll talk about that later. So if a stock is trading 10 million shares a day and it's trading at a penny spread, some people argue that should the tick be smaller to get that spread even lower? Fair argument. Okay, definitely worth exploring.
1: And also to help exchanges, because exchanges are limited in terms of how they can quote to these one cent increments.
3: Yes, right? and exchanges have had competition from off-exchange venues, which don't have that limitation when it right. comes to – because they're not quoting out loud. It's, everything is dark yeah. on an exchange. Then there's the trading increment, right? So there's mm-hmm. the tick increment and the trading increment, but let's stick with the ticks for now. So should we decrease tick size? That's just one question. Or maybe the question should be, should we have more of an intelligent tick size, which has been a big debate. So some stocks, maybe a stock that's not tick constrained, say a stock that trades 100,000 shares a day, and that's at a penny spread, maybe that's too tight because the problem is liquidity is not building. You're getting noise liquidity on the top of the book at that point because it doesn't cost me to jump ahead much if it's only a penny. Maybe those should be a wider tick. Maybe you should have $0.02, cents, $0.05 cents on some of the names that could actually benefit from more of a wider tick because they would build more liquidity in the top of book, which would be better for price discovery.
2: People would aggregate more at a price point if there was less price points. Is that the point? Absolutely. Yeah. And
3: it would cost you more to jump ahead. Yeah. So if I'm bidding a nickel I got you. and then an HFT guy comes along and says, oh, I want to jump him, it's going to cost you a dime now. It's going to cost you $0.05 cents above mine. It's so- big money, guys. times a million shares, right? So I, I think there's a valid argument there. Now, industry players are all staking their position. They're all putting the flag in the sand now saying, this is what I want. So we read numerous papers over the last couple of weeks, over the last month or so. Citadel had one out, Schwab had one out, the New York Stock Exchange had one out. Everybody seems to be buying for their own benefit. And that's a big problem that we've always had. The model is for the stock market. There are numerous types of investors. There's retail investors, prop traders, there's institutional, there's mom and pops, there's pension funds. We all live in the same sandbox. So you can't carve out what's best for you when it's not best for, let's just say, a small cap fund manager in Boston. Right. So where do we stand here? Well, we're waiting on a proposal from the SEC. We personally at Demonstrating would like to see an intelligent size tick proposal, mm-hmm. something that I'll give you a half a penny On some of the smaller ones. In fact, actually, the SIBO, which we've taken many issues with in the past, and we just talked about one, wrote a very good paper on this. Theirs was
2: my favorite by far. I thought it
3: was really- It was, and we don't like to say nice
1: things about (laughs) other exchanges, but they did put out a smart-
3: It was was extremely thoughtful, well-researched, data in there with some great recommendations and on a multidimensional level, not just, hey, let's change the tick size, but let's think about- The liquidity of that name. Let's think about the depth of the quote. So more to it than just change the price. Yeah. So when you read the New York Stock Exchange, it was like half a penny throughout for everybody. That's not yeah. That's not adding value. Okay. That's not that's not something that's creative. So somewhere along the line we'd love to see a proposal like that that has a multi-dimensional. And, and, and
1: how narrow would you go for like highly liquid um, stocks? Uh, it, uh, do you think half a cent is the no, right? Uh, yeah, I would you go no less than a half a cent? No less the, than.
3: The more price points you put, the more jokers are going to come out there with their <laughs> arbitrage games, right? Yeah, like right. we were just
2: saying before, like now more
3: aggregation points. I mean, good job. Keep to jump. Yeah, it'd be the, crazy. Could you imagine? And now you'll get a lot of data coming out of there. Yeah. And if you sell a proprietary data feed, guess what? It just became more valuable because now mm-hmm. you have all this data coming mm-hmm. through. <laughs> I wonder gun. why some
1: exchanges would want that. What was oh, that all God. about? Isn't that weird?
3: Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so, so let's let's just tell the SEC right now. Throw away the tenth of a penny. That's not a starter here because it's going to be a problem for everybody. Most institutional investors that we've spoken to have no interest, zero interest in a tenth of a penny, half a penny on a tick-constrained name. And the SIBO's analysis was really interesting because once they did their multidimensional approach, they came down to 67 stocks. Yeah, I thought it was excellent. Right? So they said, okay, these 67 would benefit from a smaller tick size. The rest, in fact, There may be some that benefit from a wider tick size. I would have liked to have seen that paper go into that a little bit more. They didn't really touch the wide size. They put it down as a proposal, but they didn't touch it in data wise. But the tick size pilot, to go back to that, did have data on wider ticks and liquidity did build on some names that caused, believe it or not, spreads could widen. And now here's a crazy concept. You're going to widen a tick and you're telling me that spread is going to narrow. Yes, because the spread today could be 20, 25 cents and I trade a lot of names, I'm going to say, but they're tough mm-hmm. names, and we're 25-cent spreads and these things, 50 cents, because there's a penny and there's all sorts of jockeying going. If you say now it's a nickel to, ju- to a nickel to quote, mm-hmm. you might now, there's you know what, I'll quote it, because yep. no one wants to quote those names right now, because they're going to get taken advantage of. So now you go nickel, and a guy comes off at a 20. You go dime, he goes off at a 15. we got a 5-cent spread, We're in a stock that might have been 20-cent spread is now a 5-cent spread. Very possible. Right.
2: Yeah, it's, it's hard... You're making complete sense. I just wonder if if the SEC were to come out and try to address everything all at once, it's going to be fairly complex. Like, you know, similar to the CBOE paper, I would think you could kind of narrow it, narrow the number of symbols, narrow the overall scope of volume or notional, and maybe make it half penny. Then give that a crack. Uh, Not that that's how regulation should work, but give that a go. All right mate. That's why yeah, that's yeah. why you not been a regulator yeah. around and I've been invited. You, you've to. been in every regulator. Yeah, I've been in every and, regulator. And now yeah. you're here. Yeah. yeah um, now I'm here. God help us. <laughs> but um I don't even know what the that hell I was, was going <laughs> to say. Yeah. I was going to say that <laughs> actually, actually I start, I start. small yeah. basically. <laughs> I don't I don't, I don't do the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, I kind of think don't do the whole thing because yeah. Nasdaq that was probably about a year ago had the intelligent tick. Yeah. And there there was there was a, you know, fairly intelligent proposal too. Hate to give him credit, but CBOE win to me. Yeah. And I'm not sure who, in the name of God, wants 10 mils. Yeah. Well,
1: no, there's but, a of, but I I not to put words in your mouth, Joe, but I assume you're saying that if you uh, – th- that there could be some incremental benefit to defining some universe of stocks that are, you know, as people say, tick-constrained, that sort of want to trade more narrowly than a penny now, no. reduce that – to half a cent, there would be some
3: incremental value to the market and and to investors. Right. In addition to that tick shrinking, the trade side or the trade increment would also shrink to a quarter of a penny, mm-hmm. where now exchanges can only print at a half a penny. You can then trade at a quarter of a penny. Yeah. I think on a name that's super active, I don't have a problem with that at all. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think that's fine. But I would like to see why these are the names let's have some data and some buckets here just to go mm-hmm. back to the old sec yeah bucket these as to why these are now the 67 or 167 names or whatever the number Define, may be. yeah
2: yeah because everybody's version of tick constraint seems all over the map mm-hmm. yeah and cboz jesus cboes was the only one that i thought CBO. had like a chronological uh-huh. is that is that what the old school we'll traders said, we'll just, yeah CBO. okay yeah. SIBO. 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 Sounds like a like a the name of a fucking rottweiler. SIBO. Get over here. SIBO's <laughs> running, running in the eighth at Belmont. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Again I lost my train of thought. Yeah,
1: well that's all right. I will pick up the train of thought for you, uh Ron Are there other things, Joe, uh, either, um, other things that are on Gensler's list, um, that you would highlight as, uh, that, that you think are priorities to focus on or other things that maybe he didn't identify that you think that the SEC should be focusing on?
3: Sure. I I think from our perspective here as institutional investors, it's not the top of our list, but payment for order flow is the top of the list when it comes to the retail crowd Mm -hmm. and what's been in the news, obviously, since the GameStop, you know, hearings and so on. Reports from Bloomberg recently came out saying that payment for order flow ban is off the table. That doesn't surprise us. I never thought a ban would be out there. Bans are not a good idea. We believe in market based mm-hmm. solutions, right? Yeah. We mm-hmm. always believe that the market should. The broad dictate. stroke
2: ban is, is crazy too. So, yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: So, <laughs> so we, we think, hey, they won't address payment for order flow that you can't do it. So the, the market maker yeah. crowd will love that and they'll say, hey, great. We now get to continue paying a billion dollars a year to the retail brokers. This isn't a wonderful. <laughs> we provide a service and we pay a billion dollars <laughs> a year to do that. This is a great thing. But maybe there are other ways to think about this. Why do people hate payment for order flow? Let's say hate's a bad word. Why do people have a problem with payment for order flow? Because payment for order flow, distorts the order routing process. And payment for order flow is not just from the market maker perspective, it's from the stock exchange perspectives who pay rebates. Now here at IAX, you guys don't pay rebates and that's mm-hmm. what we like about you a lot. Mm-hmm. That's one of the other things. Now, in addition to not getting proprietary data feeds, I know when my order is out there, I don't have to worry about some rebate jockey kind of playing around, but anyway, that's a different story. So the order routing process is really the issue here. Will that order go to the venue that pays them the most or does it go to the venue that gets them the best execution? This has been the age old question on Wall Street, right? That's why payment for order flow was a problem. Obviously, there's been cases that the SEC has filed, namely against Robinhood when it came to best execution as to where this payment was going. In their situation, they were getting a piece of the spread. Okay, we talk about conflicts of interest. You're getting, which means that you, the retail broker, are encouraging wider spreads because you're getting a, or you like wider spreads because you're getting a bigger piece. That's a problem. That's got hair all over it, okay? But the issue of where my order goes. My order should go to the best chance for me to get filled, period. End of story. I have nothing to do with rebates. So our traders on the desk, we don't even think about what venue we're going to? We think about how do we get the best X because otherwise the order is not coming in tomorrow. So we know we have to get the best fill. It doesn't happen that way, unfortunately, at some other places or at some algorithms that have economics at their number one priority.
1: Right, and as as you say, you don't represent um, retail uh, investors directly, but um, I, I'm assuming that if there were incentives. For more retail order flow, in particular market or marketable retail order flow to be sent to exchanges, your clients could benefit and would be happy to be
3: able to interact with more of that order flow. Uh, yes. Right? yes. That, that's a great point. And also I should back up because our clients do represent retail. A lot of our clients are mutual yeah. funds who are order. retail. And I always forget about that point. And that's a really important mm-hmm. point. You know, they're institutions, but they represent retail. So, but yes, to your question, shouldn't or wouldn't the best price be The price discovery, if all of us were operating in the same sandbox, if the institution had a chance to improve on the price of a retail order, Wouldn't that be a good thing? Rather than that order getting shipped to a market maker, maybe the market maker gives them a tenth of a penny price improvement, but maybe the institution would have given a half a penny or maybe even more. Maybe the institution's happy crossing the spread and going on the far side. Who knows? But right now, they don't have a chance to interact with that flow because the flow is being siphoned and segmented to different areas. So one thought of the SEC, they talked about having an auction proposal. That's going to get a little hairy. But the – and they actually, they were talking about modeling after the options market. Now, we mm-hmm. don't trade options. But from what I understand, that's a total disaster. Yeah. And somebody should be <laughs> There's an There's a options uniform agreement structure. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that, that's somebody – if somebody wants a career, study options market structure and start mm-hmm. figuring out what's going on over there. But, you know, it's a – institutions would like to get a crack. To answer your question, they would love to get a crack at that retail flow, but right now yeah. they
1: don't. Yeah.
3: Should we pivot to crypto? Crypto. Yeah. Crypto. So yeah. I'm sorry,
1: sorry So I just thought we had to ask at least a question about crypto since um, all the cool kids seem to be doing crypto. And since I was never a cool kid in in school, I'm trying to become smart about it um, so that I can be. Um, You're a cool kid at work, though. Yeah. Thank you, Ronan. That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. So I had two kind of related questions. My sense is institutional investors sort of generally have largely kind of held off, uh, of getting heavily into, uh, crypto, uh, investments for maybe a variety of uh, reasons. I assume pension funds may be sort of prohibited in some sense from doing that. What, what, what do you think is the level of interest, um, in, uh, in, in getting into crypto investments and what would institutional, what, what, what would need to happen? In order for mm. institutional investors generally to feel comfortable about kind of sure putting their foot in.
3: I, I think regulation, to be honest. Right now, it is a wild west still. Okay, let's be honest. Yep. As much as people want to have these fancy titles of the firms and they want to sponsor every Super Bowl commercial out there, this is an unregulated area still. And I think let's let's take a step back. Why did the SEC, why does the SEC continue to reject Bitcoin ETF proposals? It's quite simple. They've asked for a cross market surveillance system. In other words, you can't just, I need to know what's going on in multiple exchanges, or I need a better system to really regulate this thing. And you don't have it right now. The Bitcoin market, and this could be evidenced in all the fines we've seen and all the scams that we've seen over the last few months, is an immature market still filled with fraudsters, filled with people who want to have their, you know, their say, whatever they're going to make their money. Now, with that said, this is a technology That's really good. There's some potential real benefits here when you dig down clearing and settlements, smart contracts and things like that. And I'm certainly not a crypto expert. I'd love to see this continue. I'd love to see this take the next step. But it's time for the industry to embrace the regulation. Now, they will say, wait a second. Gary Gensler hasn't given us regulations and they'll blame it on him. But of course, mm-hmm. what's going on behind the scenes is are probably, I don't know, they're probably jockeying for which rule they want or which rule they don't. And just like it was in, the, in our industry years and years ago. So if this does want to mature, it does have to embrace some sort of regulatory structure. It doesn't have to be like, like we are on the stock market. It could be different. It could be unique. But you need to have, for me as an institutional trader, or let's just say I was one of my clients- if I'm risking client money, I need to know that there's somebody watching the shop. Yeah, right. We have in the in, in the equity world, we've got all sorts of regulation. We've got now the consolidated audit trail, John. We finally got the consolidated audit <laughs> trail. yay the, really? The, the cat. it's uh, on the of <laughs> my existence, yeah. but yeah. even though it only covers stocks and options, yeah. but at least
1: there's. Keith Ramsey employed though. <laughs> yeah, the cat. Mm, the cat.
3: I have a nice cat at home, but uh,
1: <laughs> so I have a I have a not nice cat. But yes, <laughs> it's a different matter.
3: So, so let's get some real structure here, right? Yeah. Let's put some some structure around and let's let the institutions feel comfortable that they can go back to their investors and say, look, this is legit. As
1: you probably know, there's a lot of legislative proposals kind of circulating around. Do you think legislation is necessary in order for people to get the clarity that they need? Or uh, can the SEC, no. CFTC just sort of uh,
3: figure out between themselves and uh, – um, Gary, uh, okay. anyway, I think when you start getting politicians involved, you're looking for trouble. And, and we all know what DC is, right? It's a it's a sausage-baking factory, and it's a total disaster. But anyway, I would like to see the industry. I would like to see the SEC. I think Gary Gensler is the perfect guy. Gary Gensler was the chairman of the CFTC. He was a professor at MIT studying blockchain, and now he's the head of the SEC. Do we have anybody more qualified than that guy right there? I think, no, sorry, uh, guys who hate him. you're not, You're not going to like that, but I like
1: Gary Gensler. Well, thank you. And since he is our principal regulator, we we like him fair We, we like him too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, question of questions? Question of questions.
2: So, Joe, you were on here before, and we, we asked this question of every guest. Uh, when we asked Boris the question, he gave a meandering, meandering answer the second time. And when we played it back, it was the exact same meandering fucking answer he gave the first time. So, when, But you saying, have
1: to give a different answer. Yeah, okay. so
2: we're saying you have to give a different answer. Okay. So when Joe was first on, we asked every guest what their favorite Wall Street movie is and why. And you said, you know, the, the old school of Wall Street, probably because it was the sort of de facto Wall Street movie. The OG. The OG of Wall Street movies. Don't say Wall Street 2. <laughs> no. <laughs> if you take that movie out of play, what is your next favorite Wall Street movie and why?
3: It is a movie, which is probably people have said it here, but it's not particularly a Wall Street movie. Glen Gary Glen Ross.
2: Oh, oh wow.
3: Glengarry Glen, oh Gary, my Glen Ross.
2: I used that when I was asked. Did you? I think I was the only person to do it. There you go. Put yeah. the coffee down. You coffee did? is for I closers. Sales. Yeah. Yeah. In the last memory I said, first prize is a Cadillac. Yeah. Second prize is a stick. Set a stick nice. Third prize, you're fucking fired. You I go. thought you said Rogue Trader. No, I said Glengarry, Glengarry. And then oh, I said, if I really have to give a Wall Street movie, the second okay. one I said all is All right, well, anyway. So so hey, why, play it back. Not, you know, play it back. And mm-hmm. it's a
3: real These guys are selling real estate. But mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what you're selling. Mm-hmm. It's selling. So yeah. we are all salesmen at heart, right? Yep. We're all selling something. So I remember years ago when I worked at InstaNet, we were kind of having a little lull in the action. And I called in everybody. And I put the... Video. I had the DVD. I guess that's. I said so we're watching Glenn Gary, Gun Ross. We put it in the room and we watched Glenn Garry Gun Ross. And we're all fired up after that. And we're like, put the coffee down. Coffee is for closers. <laughs> yeah. Would you drive here? A Hyundai. I drove an eighty thousand dollar BMW. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: It's a classic movie. I don't think I've ever seen it. So
3: yeah, in, like in
2: Vanderworld, when I was in telecom sales, it was kind of like the movie you had to watch. Yeah. What is it like in the eighties? No, early two um, thousands.
3: Right. Oh, okay. It was oh, a long oh, back. Yeah. You know. um it's not like Baldwin, Jack, Lemon, Jack uh, Lemon, Pacino. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Yeah. Some real yeah. actors in it. It's kind of a classic, John. <laughs> yeah. It was,
3: and it's been a play on, oh. uh, I don't know if it was on Broadway, but it, was, it comes from yeah. a play. Was, he watches like The
2: Lion King and stuff <laughs> like that. The cartoon version, not the Broadway. No, I tend to watch art films,
1: uh, the more intellectual things. Anyway, do we have a, a parting guest? A
2: gift? Gift for a guest? <laughs> give for a guest? <laughs> so we now give away. Previous guests as a parting gift. Apparently, <laughs> we've had uh, seventy-one of these previously. Which guest do you want, Joe? No, yeah, you can have Boris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Joe. No one leaves here with nothing. We always say mm-hmm. we're going to give you your second pair, second pair of boxes and line socks.
3: Yes,
1: yes. I was hoping for that. <laughs> we might be able to give you a different style. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. we have two
2: different. There, uh, the versions, color is yeah. a little different right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a little okay, more yeah. uh, uh-huh. island.
1: Yeah. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Good for the winter. Nice. Yes, right. uh-huh. good for the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. In fact, I think I may be wearing And no, oh, I'm oh, not. Oh, Never mind. Those are not. Jesus. That's no, no, I'm wearing. I,
2: I have beer pints on mine. I nice just <laughs> Yes. Well, What's love? the dress
3: code over here, by the way? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's not, <laughs> it's not professional. <laughs> it's not fancy, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. So, Joe, you're a great guest once. You've been a great guest twice. <laughs> we'll over go and three out. Times. Well, thank you for having you come. We might again. get the first hat trick guest <laughs> after there is a proposal <laughs> yeah, in we'll 2029. <laughs> Joe will come back if we're all still here.
0: Thank you. Over and out.
2: Thank you, gentlemen. God bless. Cheers. Thanks, Joe. Thank you.
0: Boxes and Lines is a podcast from IEX Exchange. It is hosted by Ronan Ryan and John Ramsey. Executive produced by Daisy Clace with support from Benstown. For more information and to hear more episodes, go to iexexchange.io slash podcast. Thank you for listening to Boxes and Lines. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only. And IEX Group Incorporated and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversation may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group Incorporated. All rights reserved.